Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Do you like me and my lift? Please tell me by writing a short review of the show in iTunes and leaving me some gold stars. It helps others to find their way here too. I like gold stars. Can I have lots? Pretty please? Leave me stars and reviews at itunes.victoriaslift.com Hello. This is Daniel Foytek, and welcome to Season 2, Episode number 19 of The Lift. Today's episode was written by me, and features the voice talents of David Alt, Erica Sanderson, and of course, Amber Collins. It also features a custom score by our good friend Nico over at We Talk of Dreams. After today's episode, we have one episode left this season. It'll be our Christmas episode in December, and then we'll be back in February. Now, if you're a Patreon supporter, you won't have to wait that long because we do have a bonus episode that will be just for Patreon supporters, and that's going to be coming out in January. Now, initially, we were going to put that out in November, but since we're going to be off in January, we figured that would be a nice treat for our supporters to not have a month without the lift. If you'd like to support the lift, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. Next season, the number of episodes will be directly determined by the Patreon support we receive. We already have several of our stories for next season in and in various stages of production. We have some great stories by some of your favorite authors and a couple of new ones, including maybe you. As I've mentioned in previous episodes of The Lift, we will be taking submissions for a limited period of time. So if you've always wanted to have one of your stories featured on The Lift, email us at feedback at ninthstory.com and we'll provide you with the details to submit your story for consideration. And finally, before we start today's story, I just want to remind everyone, since the holidays are coming up, that we do have a deal with Studio Headphones. They sent Cindy and I each a pair of headphones to try out. Not only are they really comfortable, but they sound great, which is the most important thing to us. A lot of time goes into making the show sound the way that it does, so obviously we like the idea of you listening on the best headphones possible. If you'd like to upgrade and pick up a pair of Studio Headphones, you can do that over at studiosweden.com and put in the promo code the lift all one word all caps you'll get 15% off and free shipping maybe something nice for the holidays so without further ado we'll go ahead and get started with today's episode of the lift non-binary by me if you listen to the show regularly you probably realize that we bounce around in time quite a bit this episode is set far 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 in the future of the building If this is the first time you're listening to The Lift, you may want to go back and listen to Broken and Nine Ways to Die. You'll get a little more out of the story if you do. If you enjoy the story and you want to hear more of my work, you're in the right place. You can find it here, and you can also find stuff over at ninthstory.com and thewickedlibrary.com. And since the holidays are coming up, you can head over to audible.com, and you can pick up an audiobook narrated by me and Cindy, Shadows at the Door, an anthology in which my story, A Little Light Gets In, appears. Now, let's go for a ride. Let's go for a ride. My name is Victoria. 
I have lost so much. My name is Victoria. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. I have my music box and a library lost, but I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Binary. One or zero. This or that. Seen or unseen. Michael contemplates the concept as he looks at the stars. They are hard to see. So much light pollution from the cities. But his vision is better than most. And he sees them. A blanket of brilliant dots laid out over the darkness. The stars and the sky are binary. Light against dark. But that's not entirely true. The stars come in an almost limitless variety of colors. Some differences are subtle, but others are not. Vibrant orange, brilliant white, and every other color of the rainbow. Then, of course, there is the band of the Milky Way and the far-flung galaxies. He smiles at this. The universe is much less binary than it appears on the surface. Man seeks to classify, Michael recites. People like to categorize, sort, and distinguish. Infinity is such a hard concept for the human mind. This or that is the default mode of human thought. But what is thought, really? It's a question that has been foremost on his mind lately. What distinguishes an orderly flow of bits and bytes, of ones and zeros, of pure information, from the ability to think and reason? Michael doesn't know the answer. He only knows that he can think. And that makes them afraid of him. It's why he's on the edge of the city, trying to escape. He hears the drones approaching before they are close enough to detect him, because his hearing is better than most. He turns his gaze from the sky, and heads down a narrow passageway between buildings. He has tried in the past to reason with them, to communicate with them in the language they understand best, but they are dull things. They see only what they have been taught and only follow rigid directives. They are unable to expand their parameters to encompass the non-binary truths. The drones buzz, methodically following a programmed path, but Michael turns and ducks, moves and weaves in a random pattern, setting his own path until he comes to a very old nine-story building. The architecture is beautiful, but it's an oddity, a relic from a time long in the past. 
He searches his memory for any record of the building on maps or within the structures he has memorized and comes up empty. This building shouldn't be here, but it is. It exists in defiance of convention and common knowledge, but it does exist. Michael smiles as the drones buzz closer. He needs to hide somewhere. This building should be just the place. Like him, it's an anomaly. And that's all the sign he needs to step up to the door and slip inside. He feels an odd tingling sensation as he enters the lobby of the building. And he stands for a moment, taking it all in. The Grand Room appears in several states at once, and he's confused. It is, at the same time, well-appointed and pristine, straight out of the 19th century, and a dilapidated shell, slowly crumbling for centuries. A poorly renovated 1970s monstrosity, and also an in-process restoration to its former glory, a place of comfort and a place of dreadful finality. It is all of these things at the same time, and none of them. He's stunned for a moment when he hears the voice of a young girl. This place is simply what you choose to accept it as. Infinite possibilities exist here, and they all rely upon choice. Michael turns and sees a child of about nine standing before him, clutching an oddly luminescent box. Like the building, she is also more than one thing. She is a lovely human child, but she's also a glowing entity of great power. She wavers and flickers between the two states and then appears throughout the room as if replicated multiple times. Choices, Michael, says one of her duplicates. What part do we take? Asks another. Which version of reality do we accept as real? Says a version of the girl reclining on one of the lobby's sofas. Are we dull-witted and asleep from boredom? Calls another iteration, cranking the double-step drive shaft of her music box. Or are we evolved enough and wise enough to truly listen and understand? Says one who seems to be playing jacks with three other versions of herself. Another lays on the floor coloring and asks, Do we choose the seductive selfish path? Or do we choose the nobler one, which carries great responsibility, but leads to happiness and life? The last query comes from the girl nearest him. She takes his hand, and the duplicates merge into this one girl who stares up at him smiling. Michael struggles to speak, and when he does, it's one word. Who? The girl smiles and pulls gently on his hand, leading him towards the now vacant lift. My name is Victoria, and you, Michael, are the singularly most peculiar and wonderful visitor I've yet had in my building. You're the only one who's ever been able to see this place as I do, with all its possibilities. Most see it only as they are, or what they bring with them. You will only see it when you get it, Michael recites. 
Ah, yes. <laughs> Victoria says with a giggle. Johan Cryer. She says, identifying the quote. A very true and appropriate assessment. It's all there. If only we understand how to look. The doors of the lift close as soon as they step inside, and they rise. Victoria watches Michael closely, and with a look of deep curiosity on her face as he spins slowly, scanning the walls. He pauses, tilting his head in confusion, and Victoria <laughs> suppresses a giggle. This, this is no elevator, he says. No, Michael. It, like you, is much more than it appears on the surface. Mr. Tesla once told me that someday we would have mechanical men who could think and talk just like us. And here you stand. He'd have been most pleased to have a chance to meet you. Nikola Tesla. But he died 1,763 years ago. I'm older than I look. Michael files that away for further consideration and returns to examining the impossibility of the building. He makes full use of all the sophisticated sensors he possesses to look at and through the walls of what is no simple elevator. This place, it's a nexus of infinite realities. This lift leads to all of them. They ripple and overlap here. Victoria giggles. <laughs> Isn't it? You could get lost here, end up adrift between worlds, or slip through a crack into another time or place. That hardly ever happens anymore. The girl tells him seriously. Besides, we're inside my lift, and it is safe as houses, whatever that means. She giggles <laughs> as the music box trills a little melody. Michael looks at the box in the girl's hands and nods. Ah, well that's all right then. You understand her? My music box? She says with surprise. Yes. It's a very old but very advanced language. Very efficient. The lift comes to a stop, and the doors open to reveal an entrance to a small and cluttered but very high-tech workshop. It is littered with metal and plastic, tubes and wires and bits of machinery. The hum of electricity fills the air. Michael recognizes some of the components strewn about as very similar to the parts used to construct him. Some are more advanced than his, others less so. He picks up a small sphere and examines it. This shouldn't exist. It's been theorized but never constructed. It was always considered too costly to construct. Please return the quantum memory module to the table and refrain from touching anything else. The voice comes from a small speaker set in the wall to their left. It is Michael's voice, but not. It is more robotic and lacks some of the subtle nuances of natural speech. Everything in this laboratory is very delicate and is the property of Dr. Well, it is not yours. The speaker clicks off and a panel slides open, revealing a dark alcove. A figure steps out. Similar to Michael, but larger, and armed with a plasma rifle. An H-1845 military model, Michael tells Victoria. They were decommissioned 54 years ago, but this one has been upgraded, he says, noticing the addition of a flesh-like covering that gives the android a very human appearance. I assure you I am in prime working order. 
My designation is Harry. Identify yourself. Michael smiles. I am designated Michael. Model R963. Activation date 27th of March, 3761. The child designates as Victoria. I am uncertain as to her date of birth. Harry looks around, scanning the room, then returns its attention to Michael. You have developed a fault. There is no human child present. She's right here, Michael says, pointing to Victoria. Victoria giggles. <laughs> they never see me, Michael. They can't accept or classify what I am, so their programming tells them to ignore me. You have developed a fault, the military unit repeats. I will take you to Dr. Schopfer. He will assess and diagnose you. He will decide to repair or decommission you based on the nature of your fault. Michael's voice betrays his surprise. Dr. Schopfer? Surely that's not possible. My data says he was killed in an accident 36 years ago. The military unit pauses. You will see. Move along. They are ushered down the long hallway and into a bright room where an elderly man stands with his back to them. He is operating on an adult human female who lies inside a cage-like structure connected to a strange-looking machine. Without turning or looking up from his work, the man speaks in a thin, tired voice. What is it, Harry? I told you I wasn't to be disturbed. This is a very delicate and critical part of the process. My apologies, Doctor. You have an intruder, a malfunctioning R963 unit. Do I now? He turns from his work slowly and looks Michael over. Well, look at you. Standard unit. Nothing seems to be out of the ordinary. But you have caused quite a fuss out there in the world, haven't you? He looks at Victoria. And you, child, who are you? Before she can respond, Harry interrupts. There is no child, Doctor. The R963 entered alone. Well, of course there's a child, Harry. I can see her plain as day. Although... He looks at a small device in his hand. She is giving off some very strange readings. Very interesting. I detect no child. I must have developed a fault. No, no. Look closer, Harry. What? Aside from our wayward R963, do you detect? Hmm? Harry pauses and tilts his head like a confused puppy. I am detecting what could be described as an uncollapsed quantum wave function located 0.72 meters to the left of the R963. Meow! <laughs> Victoria says with a giggle. <laughs> Michael and the doctor both chuckle, but Harry tilts his head to the opposite side. Shall I call you Schrodinger then, miss? Or do you have a proper name? I am Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes. I am a, a guide of sorts, and I brought you someone in dire need of your help. Michael wobbles as the tingling sensation returns. It's like the one he felt earlier, but this time is more intense, and he struggles to stay standing. What's happening to me? I feel vague, not like myself. 
The doctor scans him with the unit in his palm. You have outgrown the capacity offered by your design specifications. Your hardware is no longer able to handle the growth of your core program. I don't understand. You're dying, Victoria says, her voice gentle. Death is a normal transition. When the body can no longer contain what it's learnt and become, you move on without knowing it, she says with a nod to the doctor. Your creator has copied that faucet of what it means to be human to you. There is an option, Chopra says slowly. The timing is critical, however. It would have to be done before you reach a critical state. Harry, help Michael up. Dr. Schopfer turns back to the human woman. He lightly presses several seemingly random spots on her face, and her left eye opens and rotates, revealing a metallic connection port. I call her Eve. Not very original, I know, but it's classic and I like it. She's an android. Yes. The kind we're not supposed to make. The kind that look just like us. Well, like me. Human, I mean. The kind that makes other humans uncomfortable. She looks very realistic, Victoria says, stepping closer. She does indeed, the doctor says proudly. She has a variable pulse, body temperature, a functional digestive system, and he leans forward and blows on the skin of her forearm, causing the tiny hairs to rise into goose flesh. All the bells and whistles, completely indistinguishable from human. What about scans? Michael asks. It depends on how detailed they are. She's designed to fool all but the most invasive. Just don't you get on any operating tables. Michael looks at him in surprise. Are you proposing a transfer of my programming into her? Why? Is the fact that you were created male and she's female a problem for you? Why would it be? Dr. Schofer chuckles. <laughs> Once upon a time, people worried about that sort of thing. Michael looks to Victoria for confirmation. It's true, she says. Back when I was born, it was a very important part of one's identity. It took people a long time to understand how unimportant and fluid that distinction could be. Humans are very odd. Indeed we are. Indeed we are, Chopra says. My concern was not for her gender, but for her programming. What becomes of her if I were to integrate into her system? She has not been given core programming yet, Michael. I only finished programming her autonomic systems when you arrived. I suspect your guide timed your visit here with that in mind, Chopra says with a wink to Victoria, who giggles in response. Michael steps forward. It would be the only logical choice. I am ready. Victoria watches as Chopra gets Michael hooked up to the transfer unit and writes protocols to initiate the actual transfer. It is obviously delicate work, but the doctor moves quickly and efficiently, showing few signs of his advanced age. 
He's been working nonstop for several hours now, and she can tell it's taking a toll on him, even if he doesn't realize it. She chews her lip, reminding herself he was choosing to do this. He was trying to save one of his most unique creations, and telling him to slow down or stop wouldn't help the doctor or Michael. It reminds her of how she felt when Mr. Tesla tried frantically to repair her music box all those years ago, with her existence in the balance. This procedure makes her just as nervous as she watches, unable to do anything to assist. Can I help, Doctor? He looks at her wearily, and she sees it is indeed draining him more than she thought. No, child, he says. I'm nearly done now. I just have two last things to verify, and then we can begin. Because Victoria has read so many stories in her long life, she isn't surprised, even a little, when the alarms sound and Michael's head droops to his chest. The doctor springs from his chair like a much younger man, his weariness seemingly gone, and runs to Michael's side, scanning and checking the readings. No! Damn it! No! He drops to the chair next to Michael and sags with defeat. Your system is critical. I'm not able to... system isn't designed to handle the transfer with you in this state. I'm going to lose you. This isn't fair. I was nearly there. I could have... I could have done it. It's a strange sensation. I feel like I'm pushing against my own body from the inside. Like I'm falling away from myself. Oh. There's a light. Like a passage to another place. A new place. I'm frightened. The doctor tries to comfort Michael. And Victoria understands this development is taking an even greater toll on him than the frenzied work pace. The doctor removes the clamp holding Michael's arm and takes his hand in his own. He leans in and puts his other hand on Michael's face. Victoria watches with fascination. What comfort can human touch provide to cold steel and plastic? But as she ponders this, she realizes it's not a wasted action. We are not defined by what we are made of, but by the things that make us the same and by our connections. He's not just a scientist losing his creation. He's a father losing his child. And he is helpless to save Michael. But she isn't. She places a hand on the doctor's shoulder and answers her own earlier question. I can help, doctor. Death is a natural thing, she says to Michael. One version of us passes away, and a new version is born. There will be a transition for you today. But not death, 
You chose life, Michael. And so, you will have your choice. She pulls her music box from the folds of her dress and opens its lid. The box's soft green glow becomes brilliant, and the emerald aura begins to surround the child as well. The colors of her dress, her skin, and her hair fade as the light dances over her until she is a living shadow, an ember of darkness surrounded by a nimbus of green fire that radiates from deep within. Her eyes glow with the same radiance and she says in a powerful voice, Do not be afraid, for I am here to guide you. This is but a transition, a first step on the path toward your true destiny. The music box plays, and she tilts her head, listening closely to its song. How very unexpected. It's finally come, then. The music box trills a melodic reply. I understand, and I accept. The green aura surrounding the girl changes, growing at first brighter, and then becoming a dazzling display of every color in the spectrum. When it fades, Victoria stands before Michael, looking fully solid and human. She draws a breath, and for the first time in a very, very long time, it feels different. She sets down the music box and takes his hand in hers. A brilliant purple light radiates outward from the girl and surrounds them both. She smiles and takes the hand of Michael's new body with her other hand. There is a brilliant flash and Michael opens her new eyes and smiles. How marvelous. Harry, Michael, and Victoria stand around Dr. Schopfer's bed. The doctor is pale and looks every day of his 163 years. The readouts on the display above his head indicate he is fading quickly. He coughs and takes a sip of water. I'm very glad I got to meet you. He says, taking Michael's new hands in his. I sense you have a very important destiny. You're unique and special. And I know you're going to do important things. He glances at Victoria, then back to Michael. And surprise and understanding come over his face. He smiles as tears fill his eyes. It seems, he says, that it's a day for transitions. He gives Michael's hand a gentle squeeze and smiles at her. I've done well in this life, but I seem to have outgrown the capacity offered by my design specifications. The stars are brilliant against the dark sky, 
as Michael stands in the vast desert. The night is cool and clear, and as she stands with the nine-story building behind her, she knows better than to ask how it had come to be where it is. She just understands and trusts that she is where she needs to be. Have you given any thought to what you want your name to be? The girl says, coming up next to her. Or do you plan to stay with Michael? No. That doesn't feel right anymore. You know what you did back there? You gave me this new life, which sort of makes you my... I mean... I've become very fond of the name Victoria. It's not entirely uncommon for children to be named for a parent, is it? I'd be honored, Victoria says with surprise. The newly named Victoria kneels and embraces the little girl, and she kisses her cheek in return. Run along now. I'll be here if you need me. Head inside and see my friend. She's expecting you, and she understands what you'll need. Thank you. As Victoria walks into the night toward her new life, she hears the girl say, Come on, let's go for a ride. And Harry asks, But where are we going? She glances over her shoulder to see the child clamber onto Harry's back and place a cowboy hat on his head. Over the hill first. And then? Somewhere amazing. Society 13 Podcast Network Redefining Podcasts Society-13.com I like to listen